Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 74 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is You Do Not Look Sick, an interview with Sina Jensen. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Sina Jensen. Sina Jensen is a 29-year-old woman from Denmark. She's a fitness and health influencer who just earned her master's degree in economics from the University of Copenhagen. In 2011, Ms. Jensen fell off of her bike and suffered a severe concussion. She developed a slew of health problems. Then, in 2013, she was bitten by a tick. She had flu-like symptoms, hair loss, weight gain, and menstrual irregularities. She went to a doctor and was given 10 days of antibiotics. Ms. Jensen struggled with her health for three years after the tick bite before finally receiving a positive Lyme disease diagnosis from Armin Labs. She now treats her chronic Lyme disease with antibiotics and maintains an active lifestyle. Ms. Jensen has created an Instagram page with the hope of letting others know that they are not alone and they shouldn't be afraid to reach out to others for help. Hi, Sina Jensen, and welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, we're blessed to have you, and we'd like you to please introduce yourself to our audience. Can you please share with our audience where you're calling in from? Yes, my name is Sina, and I'm calling from Denmark. And Sina, what, what do you do in Denmark? What do you do for a living? I have just finished my master degree in economics, and I'm currently applying for jobs. Congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> Can you share with our audience what your relationship status is? Yes, I'm single uh, and I don't have any kids. I live by myself. Sina, can you now walk back with us to the time when you were first diagnosed with your symptoms of what we now know to be your tick disease? We'd like you to share with the audience what your life was like when you were approximately 20 years old. When I was 20 years old, uh, I was studying economics at the university. I was at the beginning of the third semester of my bachelor degree. And at this time, I had an accident where I fell on my bike and I got a severe concussion of uh, my brain. Uh, and before all of this happened, uh, I was studying full-time uh, and I was working a part-time job next to my studies. And I was also very active, uh, both socially and physically. I had a lot of social activities. Um, I was doing some volunteer work at the university. And I've also uh, always had a passion for exercise. So I would uh, exercise a lot and just stay very active. So, yes. Sina, how, how did the concussion affect your life? What impact did it have on your capacity to complete your studies? First, I had a few months in bed where I wasn't really able to do anything. Uh, I suffered from very severe headaches and migraines and neck pain and fatigue. And I also had concentration difficulties. Uh, after the accident, I wasn't able to read or write for longer time spells anymore. I could only like read for 10 to 20 minutes uh, at a time. And this, of course, made it very difficult for me to continue with my studies. So I had a few semesters where I eventually had to give up of, on completing any exams. But then after that, I started studying on half time instead of full time. And then I had to quit my part-time job and I basically gave up on my social life in order to be able to continue my education. So now let's talk about the impact that the concussion was having on your social life. When you say you had to give up on your social life, what did that specifically mean? Did you lose the ability to have 
social contact with friends, with family? What, what impact did that have on you? Yes, I had to really uh, cut down on my number on social events because I, I would spend most of my time trying to keep up with my studies. And that meant that I had to, to really push myself, which made me feel really sick because I would read much more than my brain was able to kind of do. So when I didn't study, I would feel really sick and spend most of my time in bed. So I, I had a, a boyfriend uh, during uh, most of my concussion journey. So I would spend time with him because we we lived together for many of the years. But besides that, I would only really have time for very few friends. So I lost a lot of friends during the first years after the concussion, uh, which was uh, really difficult at the time because I used to be a very social person who would have plans like several days a week uh, and I would have a large friend group. So that was, that was a really difficult change for me. Now, how did the loss of friends impact your ability to recover from your concussion? I guess I, I, I really had difficulties accepting that I was not the same person anymore because a lot of my identity was linked to being social and like being the one who knew everyone at my university. So, so it was really, it was really difficult to, to lose that part of myself. And I guess I felt quite like isolated. Also, when you're 20 and you're that young, you really just want to go out and have fun with your friends. So it was really difficult to, to give that up. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I had, had a choice because I really, really wanted to become an economist. And I knew that if I had any chance of, of succeeding with my degree, I really had to, to focus on that. Now, how long did you expect that you were going to have to study at the university in order to achieve your economic degree? I started when I was 19. And I remember when I started, I was really focused on the fact that I could be done with my master's degree before I turned 25. So while I was still 24, it, normally it takes uh, three years for a bachelor degree and then two years for a master's degree in Denmark. So I expected to use five years in total. And after you completed your studies, what were you planning to do? I, I was really hoping to have an exciting and ambitious career as soon as possible. <laughs> and when you yeah. say an exciting and ambitious career, what type of work would you specifically be doing that would be exciting and ambitious? I've always had a dream to work with climate and environmental economics. So I, I understand that uh, you were treating with doctors during a three-year period of time where your concussion symptoms began to improve. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I was regaining some of my ability to have a social life, but I didn't feel any improvement in my ability to study. Even six years after my concussion, I was still only able to study for 10 to 20 minutes at a time. And during these six years, I saw like a million of doctors, but they all told me that uh, it was just because of my concussion and that I had to be a patient. But I, I kind of continued to do research on what could be uh, wrong with me. And then in the spring 2017, 
six years after my concussion, I met with a, an eye specialist and I found out that I have something called convergence insufficiency, uh, which is a condition where your eyes are not able to work together properly. I, I started doing some uh, rehabilitation exercises for my eyes and that helped me so much. What happened in 2013? Because you were on your concussion journey, you were beginning to improve, your, your social life was beginning to get better. And then in 2013, you noticed a bullseye rash. Can you share with us what the bullseye rash presentation caused you to do? Yes, I, I spend a lot of time in the woods because I like to go for long walks and run there. And I also, I have a horse, so I go horseback riding in the forest also. And then one day in the, the summer, fall 2013, I discovered the rash. And I also started having flu-like symptoms. I had a fever and a throat pain and ear pain and difficulties breathing. So actually because of the rash, I immediately thought that it could be Lyme disease. So I went to the doctor and she wasn't really convinced that it was Lyme disease. But in the end, she decided to give me 10 days of antibiotic just to be on the safe side, as she put it. And then after the 10 days of antibiotic, uh, all the flu-like symptoms disappeared. And I basically thought that I would never have to think of Lyme disease again. Sina, what caused you to think that you may have Lyme disease? Meaning, what did you know about ticks and what did you know about Lyme disease prior to finding the bullseye rash? I knew that tick could be dangerous and I knew that it was important to do uh, tick checks. And then the one thing I knew was that if you got a bull's eyes rest, then you, that could be a sign of Lyme disease. So the rest was the only uh, reason that I went to the doctor. Now, when you say that you knew that it was important for you to, to do tick checks, did you in fact do a tick check after you spent time in the woods or you went horseback riding and locate a tick? No, I never actually saw the tick. So I, I didn't realize that I had had a tick bite until I got the rash. So after you went to the doctor and you took your 10 days of antibiotics, did your health improve or did you begin to have new symptoms that were similar to the early symptoms that you had overcome when you first had your concussion? Yes, so all the, the flu-like symptoms disappeared, the fever and so on, they went away uh, pretty quickly. I did feel like my fatigue and my headaches got a bit worse, but I thought that that, that was just like related to my concussion, so I didn't really think anything of it. But then in the following years, I started to have like some new symptoms, and those were symptoms that I... I thought was related to maybe having a too low uh, metabolism. I started to have these cold attacks, as I call them, where I would really get really cold and freeze and shake, and my pulse would drop to between 25 to 30 beats per minute. And this would happen even like on summer days, uh, and I would sit inside with a sweater on and a blanket, and I would still be freezing. And then I also had like hair loss and dry and itchy skin. And I started to have more and more difficulties sleeping. And I also had problems maintaining a steady weight, even though I had a really uh, healthy lifestyle. 
I'm a quite tall and slim person. So even though I, I gained some weight, I was still very far from being overweight. And because of that, no doctors in the public healthcare system would take my suspicion of low metabolism seriously. Sina, how many doctors did you see after you had your bullseye rash and as your symptoms were progressing? I think I've kind of lost count, especially if you also count all the doctors or specialists I saw because of my concussion. I think I have probably seen between 20 and 30 doctors. Now, when you're seeing the 20 or 30 doctors that you had seen, were most of those doctors connecting your tick disease symptoms to the concussion diagnosis that you had prior to the tick bite? Yes, yes. They would all tell me that it was probably just because of the concussion, or it could also be because I was a young female who was very likely to get stressed or depressed. So I was told like concussion or mental reasons. So did you feel that the doctors were not listening to you when you were describing for them the symptoms that you had that you knew were not related to your concussion? Definitely. I, I feel like no one really took me seriously. And yeah, that was really difficult. And I have definitely also had some times where I started to doubt myself whether or not this was just all in my head. <laughs> and that was, that was really difficult to go through. Now, when you were going through this journey of meeting with different doctors to try to get a diagnosis, were you having any social challenges? Meaning, did you have family members and friends who began to doubt whether or not you were really sick? Yes, especially in the beginning of my concussion where I lost a lot of friends. A lot of them left because I think they really doubted that something was wrong with me. Because the thing with concussion and Lyme is that you don't really look ill. <laughs> I mean, if I put on normal clothes and makeup, I, I look just the same as I did before. And of course, also, when I actually did go out and see friends, it would be on the day where I felt my best. No one would see me on all the days. I, I would just lie in a dark room in my bed. So for many people, it was difficult to understand that something was actually wrong with me. And of course, also when I did go out, I also did my best not to seem ill because no one wants to be the one that sits in the corner and feels <laughs> terrible. I mean, you do your best to put on a smile and pretend that nothing is wrong. Sina, did you lose any additional friends after you began to show the signs of your tick disease, meaning... You, you had lost a lot of social contacts because of the concussion, including the loss of a romantic partner. Did you also lose any additional friends or did the solid group of people who stayed with you through the concussion continue to believe in you as you were going through the second battle now with Lyme disease? The friends that I had with me when I got the Lyme diagnosis were all friends that had been with me through all of my concussion. I, I basically knew that the friends that I had then would stay with me uh, through almost everything. So knowing that was a really big comfort for me. The, the one person that I did lose after my Lyme diagnosis was my ex-boyfriend. Uh, we were together for seven years. But after my new diagnosis, it was just too difficult. And I think it was mainly because of me, because after my new diagnosis, I had a while where I was completely heartbroken because I just, I couldn't believe that 
I was hit by another disease after having struggled for so long with the concussion. But all of my friends, they, they stayed with me. And I would almost say that I was lucky to have experience with chronic illness before I got the Lyme diagnosis because I think it has made my transition to a Lyme life a lot easier than it, than it would have been for most people. During the course of the time you were going through your diagnostic journey, prior to getting your Lyme diagnosis, did you ever seek mental health assistance because of the recommendations of the doctors that you were treating with? I did get some, some help for my concussion. I, I went to a group for young people with chronic concussions uh, where I met like, people in the same situation. So that actually helped me a lot just to meet someone who was in the same situation. After your concussion, Sina, and now after your tick bite, you're going to doctor after doctor after doctor, and some of these doctors are taking the very sexist approach of describing your illness as something that was in your head because you're a young woman. Did that cause you to doubt yourself enough to seek mental health treatment, or did you just know that it was something else that you were physically sick from and that you were going to continue to pursue a diagnosis from a better doctor? I definitely had moments where I doubted myself uh, and considered if it could all be in my head. But then at the same time, because of my experience with the concussion, I kind of knew that something was wrong with me because I had been through the same thing with the concussion, going from doctor to doctor and just being told uh, nothing is wrong, you just have to wait, you have to be patient. But then in 2017, I actually found the eye doctor and I got a diagnosis uh, and I found out something was actually wrong with me and I got help and I felt better. So I, when I got the problems with the Lyme, I kind of looked back and that at that and I realized that I was right then so of course I'm also right now (laughs) so something has to be wrong with me I just I have to I just have to figure out what it is. Sina can you describe for our listeners what type of healthcare system you have in Denmark? We have a, a public healthcare system you go to your doctor and then you are supposed to get like he will send you to other specialists if that's necessary. And were you able to get your Lyme disease diagnosis through the public health system that is offered in Denmark? No, (laughs) I didn't get any help at all. So what caused you to step out of the public health system and where did you go to ultimately get your diagnosis? In the years after my concussion, I I started having all these signs of a too low metabolism, and I started uh, researching about that and trying to look for private clinics where I could get help. And I did go to a few private clinics who also told me that nothing was wrong with me because I wasn't overweight. But then in, in November 2017, I started having a fever and, and flu-like symptoms again. And in the beginning, I thought it was just a normal flu, but months went by and I didn't get any better. I went to my normal doctor several times, but he kept on telling me that nothing was wrong. Uh, And I remember actually after having a fever for three months uh, in a row, I went to my doctor again and I said, something has to be wrong. You, You have to do something to help me. But my doctor still refused that anything was wrong with me. 
And when I insisted that he should run some more tests to figure out what was wrong, he actually became very angry at me and he actually started yelling at me. He was screaming, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I don't think anything is wrong with you and I can't help you. Uh, you're probably just stressed and depressed uh, and I think you should stop taking your temperature and you should just focus on something else. And I remember this day very clearly because this day there was a lot of people in the public clinic and he was screaming so loud that everyone outside in the waiting room could hear him. So I just remember walking out of that consultation and I was just crying and I remember everyone looking at me and I felt so stupid. That was really like one of the lowest moments in my life. So, so after that, I, I, yeah, I had a few weeks where I was just really feeling sad and crying. But then I decided to pull myself together once again, and I did further research, and I ended up going to another private doctor in, in February 2018. And I told this doctor about the problems with my metabolism, and then I also told him about the chronic fever, which at this point had been going on for five months. And he then decided to do a lot of tests, including a Lyme tests from Armin Lab. And these tests showed that I had Lyme disease and a lot of the co-infections. Um, yeah, and basically before walking into his office, I hadn't given, given the possibility of Lyme any thought. But to my luck, I had found, like, to my knowledge, the only private doctor in Denmark that helps people with Lyme disease. For so long, I had thought that all of my problems were just due to the concussion. And it wasn't really until the chronic fever started that I realized it could be something else. So I just feel really lucky for finding that one doctor that could actually help me. Now, Sina, I'd like you to talk with us a little bit about the cost associated with now going to a private doctor. I'm assuming under the public health care system, you don't have to take any money out of pocket to treat with the doctors, but now you've found. Uh, now you find a private doctor, and I'm wondering whether or not you'd have to now pay for this doctor and how much it costs. Yes, I, I had to pay with all my, I had to pay myself for all the consultation with my private doctor. And of course, after this point, eight years being a student <laughs> without a student job, my financial situation was not very good. But I was so fortunate that I have a family member who offered to help me and, and pay for these consultations because they are very expensive. What caused you to leave the public health system to now go to the private doctor that you went to? I think it was mainly the, the breakdown I had at my normal doctor's clinic where the day where he screamed at me. At first, I was really sad, but after that, I just got angry, and I thought, this cannot be true. I know something is wrong with me, uh, Yeah, and I just refused to give up. What caused you to choose the particular private doctor you chose? I had heard that he was very good at helping people who had problems with their metabolism, and at, at that point, I still thought that my problems uh, might be due to the metabolism. So that's why I chose him. I didn't know that he had anything to do with Lyme disease. So now, do you believe that your metabolism issues were a symptom of your Lyme disease? Yes, I, I do believe that. So and was... I also had tests done for my metabolism, and it is too low. Uh, and I have started medication for that also, which has helped me a lot. 
So it was actually the challenges with, with the metabolism and your, your refusal to let go of that that led you to the place that got you your Lyme disease diagnosis. Yes, exactly. So I was really lucky in that way. So you, you indicated that the now private doctor offered you an opportunity to have your Lyme disease tested through Arm and Lambs. Can you tell us what you know about yes. Arm and Lambs and how much it costs to have the Lyme disease test done? I didn't know anything of Almond Labs before my consultation with the private doctor, but since then I have researched this and to my knowledge, it's like one of the, the most recognized labs to get a Lyme test. Um, but the tests are definitely very expensive to get. <laughs> so how did you and your doctor now begin to treat your Lyme disease? I started having antibiotic treatment in, in tablet form. And uh, my first treatment was five weeks uh, on antibiotics. And, and when I started on the antibiotics, I, it, it didn't take long before I felt uh, much better. But after I finished uh, the five weeks on antibiotics, I started to feel uh, sick again. So I got a second treatment that lasted for 10 weeks. I also improved a lot during the 10 weeks, but then again, when I stopped, I, feel, I felt worse again. So I tried a third treatment for eight weeks of different antibiotics. And again, I, I improved while I was taking the antibiotics, but as soon as I stopped, I would feel sick again. So I, I started doing some, some research on myself, uh, by myself also, uh, and started to look for help uh, abroad. And I started realizing that doing these like relatively short treatments of antibiotics may not be the best idea. Now, before and, you share with us yeah. about your journey abroad, I'd like to focus on what you were doing during this window of time where you have your Lyme disease diagnosis. Now, you indicated that you were always somebody who was a fitness enthusiast. Were you able to work out during the period of time when you first got your bullseye rash when you were 23, and then you ultimately got your tick disease diagnosis through the private doctor? Yes, uh, I was able to, to manage to keep working out in, during the entire time. Of course, the two years where I had a chronic fever, going to the gym is not always what you, you really feel like doing, but I decided to push myself and do it anyways. Because I remember, especially during my, my difficulties with the concussion, uh, working out has really always been one of the things that really helps me. It would actually relieve my headache. And one thing it really helps me with also is, is my mental health. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm in the gym and I'm focusing on working out, it's like one of the few times where I'm able to forget that I'm actually sick. <laughs> because I'm so consumed with what I'm doing. So it's a big stress reliever for me. And, and even after two years with chronic fever, I have been able to maintain a relatively good physical shape, yeah, which is something I'm really happy about because I really believe that being in a good physical shape has put my body in a better position to, to help fight the disease. Of course, know that there are many cases where it's not possible to exercise because the symptoms are too severe. But, and I also have days where I don't feel well enough to go to the gym. 
but on these days I will do something else. I, I really like to go for long walks or I will do just like a few basic exercises on my living room floor just to get some exercise in. So when you say that you believe that your exercise regimen helped you to fight the battle that you were fighting, are you essentially saying that you believe that your immune system was healthier because you were able to stay with your exercise system or regimen? Yes, exactly. I really believe that. I think it's an important factor. Did you engage in any other behaviors, whether they were intentional or not, that you believe helped you to support your immune system, such as sleeping or using CBD oil or anything else that you may have been doing that either intentionally or unintentionally helped you to support your immune system and fight this Lyme bacteria? I focused a lot of having a healthy diet. And I'm being very strict with my diet to make sure that I that my diet was as healthy as it could possibly be. And and later on, since I started my Lyme treatment, I have also used CPD oil. But that wasn't until I, I started my Lyme treatment. So you believe that your healthy lifestyle allowed you to get to the point where you got your Lyme diagnosis, but you were you were functioning not as well as you would have liked to, but you were functioning. Were you still going to school? Did you still have the ability to maintain your social contact with your family and the small group of people who were still in your life after your concussion? Uh, yes, I was still able to continue my studies, but on half time. And I, I did have uh, one semester uh, where I had to give up uh, on completing my exam during the time where I had uh, the chronic fever. But I, I feel like Considering my how how sick I was feeling, I feel like I was still able to function quite well. I still managed to see a few friends, and I still managed to continue to to exercise. So yeah, I, I think everything considered, I was functioning relatively well. So now I want to focus with you on your Lyme diagnosis. Most of our guests tell us that they find the Lyme diagnosis to be a two-sided coin. On one side of the coin, they're really excited because they have a diagnosis, but on the other side of the coin, there is some pain that comes along with the diagnosis because they know they're about to embark upon a journey that's going to be difficult. How did your Lyme diagnosis affect you? At first, I was really excited. <laughs> I was really excited about getting the diagnosis, and then I found out that it could be treated with, with antibiotics. And I thought, this is great. I can just give some antibiotics and then I will feel better in no time. But then as I had treatment several times with antibiotics and my symptoms started to like come back all the time, I started to realize that this might also be a long journey to get better. And I really had some time where I was just completely heartbroken because I, I just I couldn't believe that I had once again gotten some kind of strange illness uh, where where the treatment options were difficult and i kind of had the feeling that no matter how much i kept fighting i would just yeah still be hit by a new illness so so in that way it was it was also difficult to realize that it was lyme disease now how did your lyme diagnosis impact your relationship with your family and your friends did it give you the ability to now describe what is wrong with you and gain more support? 
or did that cause some of your family and friends to lose faith in you in a way that they hadn't before? No, I think it was. I think the diagnosis was good, and my my friends and family were were supportive of me from the beginning, at least the people close to me. But they had believed me the entire time that something was wrong. So in in that way, it, it didn't change that much. But I have met some skepticism from people that are not that close to me, because here in Denmark, chronic Lyme disease is not recognized as a disease. So when you tell people that you have Lyme disease, they, they often don't believe you. So now let's fast forward to you making a decision to leave the country to seek treatment. What type of research did you do that led you to believe you had to leave Denmark? And where did you decide to go to seek treatment outside of the country? I started out by just researching on the internet and trying to find as much uh, information as I possibly could. And then I joined this Facebook group for Danish people that have Lyme disease. And I talked to a lot of people in this group that have gone to Poland to seek treatment. So I, I started doing some research about the clinic. And then I ended up contacting the clinic uh, and sending them my, my test results from Amen Labs. And I talked to them about the treatment options. And then in the end, I decided to actually go to Poland by myself to get treatment. It was a really big decision, but at the same time, I was just feeling so desperate. At this point, I had just started to write my master thesis, and I was on a deadline to finish the thesis on, on time because I was also running out of student loans. Uh, which meant that I essentially didn't have any income at this point. And I also knew that I probably was not able to get a further extension on my thesis deadline. So I was really desperate to feel better so I could be able to finish my degree. So, Sina, I'd like to explore that with you a minute. You began our discussion by sharing with our listeners that you were on a five-year plan, that you thought you'd be able to complete your education in five years, you'd be an economist, and you were going to move into the climate change arena. How long had you been into your education at this point, and how were the deadlines affecting your ability to ultimately achieve your dream of being an economist? It has taken me 10 years instead of five years to complete my master's degree. And at the end, I had a lot of time pressure on me because I had gotten so many extensions on my student deadline, and I was told that it would probably be very difficult for me to get a further extension. Because when you have studied for so many years, you're, you're supposed to be done, so you cannot just continue to get extensions. So that was stressing me out a lot because I had have, I have been fighting for so many years with the concussion to continue to study and to achieve my dream of becoming an economist. And then this whole Lyme disease came along and I was, I was so afraid that it would uh, ruin my dream of becoming an economist. So that was very stressful. So, so you are now on the cusp of losing your dream. You're about to lose the ability to get the educational and student loan extensions that you need. And you decide that you're now gonna go to Poland to get the treatment that you're hoping is going to help you to overcome your challenges. Tell us about what it was like to go to Poland and what they did for you when you were going through your treatment. 
it was very scary to go uh, to Poland alone. So it was definitely a scary decision to make. But I had just talked to so many people who had gotten better from the treatment. So I thought I just I simply have to give this a try. Uh, and the reason I went to Poland was because they could offer me IV antibiotic treatment. So that's the that's the main reason I, I went there was to get IV antibiotics. And then I ended up also trying ozone therapy and uh, oxygen therapy. How did you come up with the resources, meaning the money to pay for your trip to Poland? Actually, because I left my ex-boyfriend, we owned an apartment together in Copenhagen. He bought me out of the apartment. So I had some money from him buying me out of the apartment. So I used those money to to go to Poland. And then I also have had a, a family member. He's actually my mom's ex-boyfriend, but he feels like family to me. He has also uh, supported me a lot financially. So you're now sort of at a really critical point in your life. Your educational dream may not be something you can complete because you're at the end of deadlines, both financially and educationally. You've now spent all of the money that you have from the apartment that you were bought out of. You've extended yourself to ask for help from uh, your mother's ex-boyfriend. And you know that you're at a very critical point in your life. How did that affect you? And what steps did you take from that point? I still thought that I didn't have any other choice than to go to Poland because I, I, I simply refused to give up. I have been fighting for so many years, so I, I was just willing to basically, basically do whatever it, it took. So what was the outcome of your experience in Poland? Did, did it help you to get to a point where you were better? While I was in Poland, I actually started feeling much worse. Uh, after I started the IV antibiotics, all of my symptoms were worsened and I became so ill that I was barely able to function. I had to like order takeaway because I was too ill to get out of bed and go grocery shopping. Uh, and I, I stayed in Poland for seven weeks. And during the entire time, I didn't feel any improvement at all. I was told by my doctor in Poland that for some people this is normal and that it could actually be a sign that my body was starting to attack the disease. So I really, I tried to stay optimistic, uh, also because I, I met a lot of amazing people who were also struggling with Lyme while I was in, in Poland and they were a big support to me. So I think that's the reason I got through those seven weeks. But then when I got back home to Denmark, uh, after a few weeks, I, I slowly start to, to feel better. And, and now I feel much better than I did before I went to Poland. So now after you get back from Poland, are you now physically capable of meeting the educational obligations that you had? Yes. Yeah, so after I came back from Poland, I had two and a half months to finish my master thesis. Uh, and normally you have six months to write a master thesis in Denmark. So I was on a quite tight <laughs> time schedule to be able to finish on time, but I felt much better and I was finally able to study. So uh, for two months, I was actually able to study for approximately 14 hours a day. 
and because of that, I managed to finish my master's degree on time. That's beautiful, and congratulations. I'm, I'm really moved <laughs> by, by you being able to stay on, on your path to achieve your dreams to become an economist. So I, I understand you, you did graduate, and you are now, you're now looking for work in the field of economics. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. That's correct. That's, that's, uh, that's incredible, and I, I'm, I'm really excited that you were able to achieve the dream, even though the wall that you ran into did slow down the pace of, of your uh, achieving your goal. You were able to achieve that goal, and that's just a beautiful part of your story. Talk to us a little bit about how you're now different. How did you change, and how are you better as a consequence of you going through this terrible tick disease journey? I think I'm different in, in so many ways. For me, when I got the, the Lyme disease, the Lyme diagnosis, my life was already kind of adjusted to a life with, with chronic illness. So as I said before, I think this transition for me has been easier than for most. And as we talked about before, I've also, the, the Lyme disease has also affected the people that are, are in my life. Uh, I have lost uh, a lot of people in my life, but at the same time, I have also gotten closer to the people that are still in my life, and I actually see that. And and yeah, even though having chronic illness can really suck, I also think it can teach you a lot of important things. Because when you are struggling with chronic illness and you don't have so much energy, you you really have to prioritize which things you want to use your energy on. You're kind of being forced to think about what is really important for you in your life, both in terms of which friends to keep, but also in, in terms of like career options and your future goals. And yeah, as we talked about before, I was really, when I started studying, I was really focused on being done as soon as possible and starting a career. But now after having experienced all of this illness, I, I really understand that the, the journey and life experience is also important. And I have learned to focus uh, much more on today relative to focusing on, on five years from now. And, and besides that, I have also learned to appreciate many of the smaller things in life. And I, I would actually say that I feel happier today than I did before my illness, because even though my circumstances may be worse, I still feel happier because I have, I have learned to really focus on the good things in, instead of all the things that I don't have. Now, Sina, I'd also like to talk to you about how you're using your experience as a way of reaching out to other people suffering from Lyme disease. You have a really powerful Instagram where you're using your appearance and fitness as a vehicle to influence other people to learn about tick diseases and tick disease journeys. Can you share with us how you're doing your outreach and what has inspired you to do that? Uh, what has inspired me to do it is that I hope that if just one person could see my story and if it could help them to get their life diagnosis or make their life easier in any way, it would just be a, a big victory for me. So that's my, that's my reason for doing it. Yeah, and I basically started using Instagram, I think, a year and a half ago. And I just started writing about uh, my journey and especially also about how I use uh, exercise to fight the disease and and suddenly like a lot of people just started following me and I have gotten so many 
sweet uh, messages from people who can relate to what I'm going through. So yeah, I'm just trying to create a awareness also because many people are not familiar with Lyme. Well, Sina, what I find most powerful about your Instagram is that I think you give a very powerful depiction of how someone can look really good, but still be really sick. And I think that's one of the challenges that we're learning about through our podcast here at Tech Bootcamp, that so many people are doubted because they have a nice appearance, yet they're very, very sick. And the, you know, the powerful imagery that you're using on your Instagram, I think portrays that beautifully. So I, I wanna thank you for creating a page that depicts how you can look fit, but be very sick. Thank you. Um, that makes me really happy to hear that that's one of the things I would like to achieve, definitely. <laughs> so if you could, again, now ex look back through your entire journey and explore the various things that happened, what's the one thing that you would share with someone who's going through a Lyme disease journey that you'd want them to use to help them to have a better experience when going through that battle? The first thing I would say would definitely be that if your normal doctor is not willing to help you, then my advice would definitely be to, to seek help from a specialist, also even if it means going abroad. And yeah, you just, you shouldn't let doctors or other people convince you that nothing is wrong with you. I, my advice is really to take yourself and your illness seriously. And then my advice would also be to remember that a healthy diet and exercise can also really make a huge difference. Um, when I was in Poland, I met a lot of other patients who had had similar symptoms to mine. And many of these patients had been in bed for several years. Uh, and I remember there was at the clinic, there was this coffee machine. And when they would go to make coffee, they would go over to the machine and turn the machine on, but then they would have to bring a chair with them so they could sit down for the two minutes that it took to prepare the coffee because physically they were not strong enough to be able to stand up. And at that point, I really realized how much of a difference exercising and staying active had, had made for me because if I had stayed in bed for two years, the two years I had fever, I would probably have been just as weak. So for me, at least exercise has really made a huge difference. I, I know it's not possible for everyone with Lyme disease to go to the gym, but my advice is just to do as much as you can. Maybe just go for walks or make a few basic exercise on your living room floor at home. Just, just do whatever you can to stay, to stay active. If you were, again, looking back through your journey, who's the one person you'd want to thank for staying with you and believing in you during the course of your terrible journey? It would be my mom, Susie, and my mom's ex-boyfriend, Ulfa, who is the one who has supported me a lot financially. And then also my best friends are just always being there and when I needed to talk or cry <laughs> and just supporting me the entire way. So I actually have a bunch of people I would like to thank. So now I have my final question. If tomorrow morning yeah. you woke up and you found a tick biting you on the leg, what would you do? The first thing I was, would do, of course, would be remove the tick as soon as possible and I would write down the place and the date of the tick bite. 
And then I would probably also save the tick and look into options for getting the tick tested. As far as I know, there are not many options to do that here in Denmark. So I would probably look into options for sending it abroad for testing. And then I would contact my current Lyme doctor and discuss preventive treatment. And if I had any signs of Lyme, I, I would always insist of getting at least 30 days of antibiotics. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with Sina Jensen. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Sina Jensen and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at S-I-I-I-G-N-E underscore J. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvement. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank your listeners for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.